Let's open in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for the privilege of being here. We uh, were able uh, to be here. We had transportation to get here. We have the health to be here. But we also have a lot of things that might distract us, that might be in the way of listening to you this morning. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us to each hear what is most important for us to hear, that you would direct your word, the scripture, and my words as they align with your words uh, to apply to our hearts as you see fit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Our topic this morning is to every generation. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. As you just heard read, we will be looking at verses 1 through 9 in the book of Deuteronomy. And we will be looking at how parents have a role in discipling their kids alongside of the church this morning. And how does that happen? How do we interact as believers with a heart for the next generation? Our mission statement as a church is to make disciples who love God and others above all else. Love God, love people above all else. An echo of the great commission to make disciples and the great commandment uh, to love God with all our hearts, which we're coming back to the origins of that great commandment this morning as we look at the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, understanding that if we don't love God and if we don't don't love people, we won't be making any disciples. And if our hearts aren't pressing toward the next generation, we're in trouble too. There's a few statistics that I'd like to bring to your attention. Our mission field, only 20% of Americans attend church every week, according to Gallup Poll recent survey. Over 57% of Americans seldom or never attend a religious service. 16% of Christians who regularly attended church services before COVID no longer attend. But it remains true that the overwhelming majority of people come to know Christ as their Savior before the age of 18. The majority of people, the seeds have been planted, and even if they come to Christ as their Savior later, have often heard and been, been, been impacted by somebody who had a next generation for Christ mindset when they were still young. The statistics of Gen Z are interesting, to say the least. They're most books on generational dynamics are not written toward the end of the generation, and this is true for Gen Z. The largest generation in, in American history is now at ninth grade and older. And Gen Alpha, I think they're going to call it, is in middle school. And these are the characteristics. Gen Z is the largest generation. They live in a post, as post-Christians in a post-Christian culture. They are digital natives. They struggle with identity, anxiety, and depression more than any other generation. They are the most racially and ethnically diverse in American history. Their parents are both over-engaged and under-engaged. And by what I mean by that is over-engaged, 
often in things that are not so important, and under-engaged in the things that are most important. So we have lots of positives coming from this generation, the least teen pregnancies in, in American history that we have been tracking this, the, the, a lot of uh, entrepreneurial spirit, a lot of desire and openness to learning what Christians believe because they have no idea uh, what Christians really believe besides what the media might say. There, this mission field that we are looking at is fertile ground. The field is white for harvest, as Jesus said. And truly, we have a lot of laborers here at Cherrydale who are invested in the lives of children, who are invested in the lives of youth ministry. When I talk to other youth pastors who come from all over the country, they're astounded at how many youth leaders we have and uh, how many people do volunteer for church ministry. But I would like to uh, propose that we need more than that, uh, way more than that. And I, I'd like to point us in that direction as we move through this sermon, pointing out how the prophets of the Old Testament warned Israel that they would lose everything if, if they followed other gods. David Kenneman, the president of Barna Group, who does a lot of these demographic surveys, reflects, is it possible that many churches are preparing young Christians to face a world that no longer exists? Are we making disciples for Jerusalem when we should be making disciples for Babylon? Their generation, those prophets, were saying, if we don't follow God, you're going to be hauled off into captivity. And, and life will not be good. And, and it, it, in fact, uh, bad things are going to happen. And sometimes as churches, we, we're, when we're uh, teaching the kids, we're preparing them for, for something in the past instead of looking ahead to what we're facing in the future. Looking ahead to train them with what they need to know and how they need to reflect on uh, and, and reflect Christ in our culture, in our world, in our time and in times to come instead of in the past. And the churches who grab a hold of that are the churches who are alive and the churches who don't are the churches who are fading. And truthfully, there are churches all over this country that are becoming, uh, are in decline and when you walk in, the average age is over 55. And it's a sad place to be. But there's also another place that we can be in churches where everything seems to be going well. We can mask the decline that we're facing as a country and we can circle our wagons and focus inward and say, everything's going good here uh, because everybody's fleeing from churches where things aren't going good. And, and we can lose sight of, of the calling that God has given us. The book of Deuteronomy a book written 3,300 years ago. God gives advice for how we need to think about next generation ministry and how we need to be thinking forward to the future and to be pressing downward Christ, uh, the claims of God on our lives so that we might be able to make disciples who make disciples. So it's interesting here in the book of Deuteronomy, we see this, um, this, this calling happening so long ago, and we wonder if it's really relevant for our lives. But the challenge this morning that we want to look at is disciple the next generation as Christ followers 
in Christ's community. And we're going to pull this out of this passage this morning. Today is my prayer that parents will find encouragement that as the primary disciple makers of their children, they are not alone. I didn't know I'd be so emotional. <laughs> it is my prayer that the congregation will be challenged to transparently, transparently make next generation disciples. And it is my prayer that we all will be equipped as Christ followers to be more intentional, intentional about discipling the next generation in Christ's community. Point number one. Disciple the next generation in covenant community. We're going to look at three aspects of covenant. Covenant fulfillment, covenant community, um, the, the challenge in the calling that comes in covenant community, and covenant loyalty. Look at uh, verse 1. It says, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God made me or commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Drop back to De Deuteronomy chapter 1. These same things are reflected as Moses begins a speech. This is our covenant context. Deuteronomy 1.1. 1, 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel. And then, then he starts naming some place names. And you would think that all these uh, unpronounceable words would give us some idea of where Moses was. <laughs> but the map that you see on the screen shows you three guesses as to where he was saying this. And the point was that he, uh, in verse 8, he says, See, in chapter 1, verse 8, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we have this idea that God made a covenant with Abraham that he would bless them and provide a land and, and give them this uh, prosperous nation, but they had not gotten there yet. And at any of those high points in those areas where you saw those flags, you, you could, on a clear day, see the promised land. And there was a clear day 38 years earlier when uh, they stood there and they balked. In an entire generation, loss of vision for the covenant God who provided the land, and they walked away. And they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. And, and, and we see that over in uh, verse, chapter 2, verse uh, 14. It says, that, and he's talking to these people, at that time are, are, are leaving Kadesh Barnea until we cross the brook of Zered was 38 years until the entire generation, that is, the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord has sworn them. So Moses is standing before them as the last one who, who, of his entire generation. And he knows that even he will not be allowed to enter the promised land because of the mistakes that he made. And Joshua and Caleb and the entire new generation are standing before Moses. And Moses is giving them these most critical, most important words. These are the most important things that you need to know. Remember what God has done for us. Remember how God has brought us out of Egypt. Remember all of these things. But the reason why we, we remember them in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 is for the next generation. 
every single time, reviewing the Ten Commandments so that the next generation would know. And, and so we see this passage in this context, this covenant context, that these younger, the next generation are standing there and they're listening and they're like, Moses, the oldest guy that they know is telling them the most important things that they need to know and he's going to be leaving us. He's not long for this world. And they're standing there all in this giant community and that giant community included parents. Even, and we see this passage a lot of times reference for parents, but it included parents and it included the entire community. It probably included children as well as they listened to the words of Moses and, and he, he gave words that God gave him. And, 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 and he says, this covenant that God made for you is going to be fulfilled in your lifetime. You will walk into this land and the God who we forsake will be the God that will be with you. And as long as you obey and you follow him and make him the God above all gods, you, things will go well for you and things will prosper. So this, this group of people is standing there and the parents surely would know that they're not alone. And in verse 2, we see this covenant calling again that we saw all through those uh, first five chapters. He says this, he says, that you may fear the Lord your God, your, you and your son and your son's son, three generations, by keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days might be long. So we have not only a covenant fulfillment context, but we also have a covenant community calling. And as, he, he, as they stand there and they're reminded of their covenant before God, then they're also hearing that the, the reason for this is to your sons and your son's sons from, for generation to generation. The reason why we obey, the reason why we, we uh, assemble together, the reason why is that... Uh, the net following generations behind us would stand up and say, my God is my parents' God, and I will follow God. And my children, I will point them toward Christ as, as well. So we have this, this context of fulfillment. We have this context of community calling to the next generation. At Cherrydale, this looks like coming together to rehearse, review, and remind ourselves of the things that we know to be true. And to do it often. Why do we need to do it often? Why do we repeat things over and over again? Because we forget. And that's what Moses is telling these people. You see it multiple times. And, and in particular, he's, he's saying, uh, he, he says, don't forget that we are uh, the people of God and we need to follow God. We illustrate covenant community here at Cherrydale by church membership. This is countercultural to, to come together and to say, I am in covenant with this community for the cause of Christ. This is countercultural now. It was countercultural in Egypt and it was countercultural in the promised land. And the reason why it's countercultural is it moves opposite of the culture's press toward idolatry or putting things, other things, in place of God. And that's the warning that Moses is constantly giving. That's, the, that's why he teaches what he teaches here. We'll press into that in a minute. 
At Cherrydale, we also invite the next generation to covenant community through intergenerational worship. Over the last decade, every single book that I've read in youth ministry, I've, and I've read a lot, has pointed out and tried to analyze where are we going wrong? Why are we losing ground? Why, why isn't the church growing in the United States? And among those analysis, uh, one thing, uh, many things are repeated. And one of the things that are repeated is the failure, the breakdown of intergenerational worship. Every single book, the breakdown of intergenerational worship, the breakdown of kids not being in church service, understanding and knowing that they're a part of the body. I, I share this story. I had a graduate one year say, now what? And, uh, and I said, well, you go to, go to church. And he's like, is that the big, big room upstairs where all the adults meet? He had never been in church. His parents had dropped him off at, here to go to church, but he had never worshipped in community. He never understood that he was a part of something bigger. He was never known by the people in the church who welcomed him and greeted him, who helped him to know that this was his church. And, and that's so much what has happened when we've segregated our youth ministries and segregated our children's ministry. And it has become, it's a place that we call discipleship, but then also it becomes a place of parent convenience. Uh, instead of a place of parent discipleship. And, and so we, we come together and we say, whoa, a lot of discipleship has been going on in youth ministry over all these decades. A lot of discipleship has been going on. But that's great, but it's only part because if a student doesn't understand that they're a part of a body, then they don't know that they belong. And our challenge today is to help the parents in this congregation know that they are not alone, but also to help the children in this congregation to know that they are not alone. And the struggles they have are struggles that we have and we will do to them together for the cause of Christ. You are a part of us and we are a part of you. So moving on before I just get on a soapbox there. <laughs> Covenant loyalty. When you read something where this happens and he says, hear therefore, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. In multiple times you hear this word here, here, here. That's the word Shema. And it happens multiple times. And it's a call to assembly, but it's also a covenant to assemble or, or call to assembly to come together in covenant loyalty. Commitment is the thing that we do in our minds to, to say, I believe. Loyalty is the thing that you do when you don't feel like believing, when you don't feel like God is close. Loyalty and covenant loyalty is, is built in, and loyalty only happens when God's Spirit enables it. Because our natural tendency is to forget. Our natural tendency is to wander. That's why we're called to community. That's why we're called not to do faith alone, but to do it with other people. Because alone we wander. Alone we descend to dark places. And alone we, we, find, uh, we find ourselves wondering what is the value of life? Why am I here? What purpose could I possibly have? Alone is where this generation is. 
That's why depression is so high. That's why anxiety is so high. They might have a ton of participation in everything under the sun, but they don't have a ton of participation in, in deep relationships, in, in sitting in the car at night relationships, uh, where we are, are talking to a friend and pouring out our hearts. That's what we need. Not a mile wide and an inch deep social media relationships, but depth of friendship and depth of connection with other people. And that's what God calls us to. So covenant loyalty, here therefore, God is doing his part. He has done his part for us in sending his son. He is doing his part in, for these children of Israel as he brings them into their promised land. He will do his part as he brings us into uh, eternity with Christ in heaven. Now what is our role? What is our part? Is it just to give a little or is it to give it all? Is it to define little segments of our lives and little pieces here and there? Or is it to say total commitment for the cause of Jesus Christ? And, and that ultimately is what we're going for. In summary, individual parents are commanded to be covenant keepers in the context of covenant community. Parents in Moses' audiences, audience knew that they were not alone. They understood their next generational faith transmission responsibility as parents and would happen that it would happen in tandem with covenant community as a whole. And this brings us to our application. Our context is the new covenant. We also are a people of the covenant. And when Jesus said, this is a new covenant in my blood, when he, when he did the communion time with his disciples, we are in a new covenant relationship with God. He has made his promise to redeem us and to call us out by name and to use us for his glory in all of our imperfections, in all of our, our, our stupidity. He enables us through his spirit to do wonderful and amazing things. And that's how we need to walk in front of the next generation. Our calling is the great commission and the great commandment as our, as our purpose statement states. But we need to be especially concerned about the, below the age of 18 because that's where a majority of people come to sort out, to parse out the meaning of God in relationship with God. I know lots of adults come to know Christ having never heard of, of Christ before. And, and that's happening all the time. But the majority, the tip of the spear is the next generation. Your commitment is our calling in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, not to forsake uh, our assembling together, but meet together to encourage each other and to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. There's a book written by Vern Bankson in Families of Faith. It's called In, Fam in Families of Faith. Uh, the, the, he talks about what are the guarantees, not guarantees, what do we see in a four-generational study of the most probable things that are good going to help us to pass faith along to the next generation. And number one is when the church and the home work together to disciple the next generation. This is why Ted, in, at the family gathering, at the member gathering that we had, when he did that baby dedication, he stopped and said that when he read this passage, this was for everybody. This wasn't just for the parents. And that's why in baby dedications, it's not just a parent reciting a commitment to raise their 
their child and, and point them toward Christ. But it's a congregational response that we would all work together for, to accomplish the same goal. So in families of faith, uh, this, this comes out when we show the next generation what loving God completely looks like. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the Shema that's often repeated. And we hear again the call to Solomon's assembly. And then we hear a confession that was probably repeated by the people. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. In, in, in a call to covenant loyalty, when loyalty can be to any shiny idol that gets our attention other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when our loyalty can be drawn out in so many different ways, our loyalty to God can be thinned out by our, our uh, buying into our culture and what our culture defines as, as most important. So he says here and recognize that the Lord our God is one. This this confession was identifying together what we are all about, and our confession is in Christ and Christ alone. This is where we stand. In Christ, in Christ alone. We also hear this personally, and you'll notice a shift in the language, the Lord our God, and then it says, love the Lord your God. And that's why my application slides are saying our and your, because we are only together what we are as individuals. As we individually pursue the cause of Christ, we bring that into uh, the accountability of one another, and then it accelerates, and we become more together than the sum of our, ourselves. So we hear a personal call to love with all your heart, soul, and might. It, a lot of times when I read this, when Jesus says this in the New Testament, it'll say heart, soul, and, and mind. And I'm like, why is that? Well, there was a difference in the New Testament how they understood uh, the Hellenistic culture when you talked about heart and soul. It began to feel this, it had this touchy-feely thing that we have today. But back it, it, earlier, when, when Moses spoke the Shema, heart met concrete action. And soul, it, it, you might say it's like you got soul, meaning it is observable. And might is the application, the doing of the covenant. So parents and the congregation are called to model and love is defined, the depth of love is defined by heart, soul, and might. So in summary, with this Shema verses, as Moses' audience listened to the call of next generation faith transmissions, parents would have felt covenant community, and they would have felt belonging, and the kids would have felt the same thing. And they would have heard an unequivocal calling that being a model covenant keeper is essential for the next generation to see. The second truth that Bankson points out in his four-generational study of what is most likely to where we see faith transmit to the next generations is the transparency that we model as we grow together. See, the truth is, is that, uh, the, that the next generation will always see our flaws. And we have a tendency to point out their flaws. Your kids, if they haven't pointed yours out, yeah, they will. Uh, 
probably because you're pointing out the flaws of your parents. And we all know our hypocrisy, don't we? And when we address our hypocrisy with transparency, when we, we say we are a church of broken people who are called by God's name, who are empowered by God's spirit, who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we can say, not to us, but to his name be the glory. And the next generation can see us as we stumble and fall to get up in how we get up. And the same is true at home. Your transparent example when you stumble and fall and demonstrate to your children how you get up when you've made costly mistakes so that they know how to do the same for your grandchildren. So this calling of, of being transparent instead of being uh, Jesus is absolutely essential because every statistic says this is a huge reason why people leave the church is because of hypocrisy. So let's address it straight on. Next, we see disciple as followers of Christ in Christ's community. And we see that we are to do that diligently everywhere all the time and inward living outward. Let's read these verses. It says, in verse 4 and 5, we got the Shema. Then 6, it says, These words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be uh, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What timeless truths can we take from here? The fact that we should do this diligently. We love uh, as an example, and we practice our faith diligently, and we do that um, not only purposeful and intentional, but we bring it around to everywhere all the time. You see that when we, when we lie down, when we get up, and then we see in, in the marketplace as we walk by the way. And, and so if we want to disciple the next generation, we need to disciple the next generation, not standing in front of them teaching. Uh, that has its purpose, uh, but the majority of the time, it needs to be walking side by side. It needs to be understood that the majority of discipleship happens not at church. And the purpose of church is to remind us of what we were supposed to be doing at home. Because uh, most of our time is spent in the home, in the workplace, living with our kids and showing them how faith is relevant, giving them opportunities to ask questions about why this is going on in your workplace and why people are treating each other like they're treating each other. And, and so we see opportunity after opportunity if we're living life together as we go, but we only see Sunday as Sunday when all we are looking for is a, uh, a little shot in our spiritual cup to come and get a little encouragement to survive another week. 
Discipleship has to be everywhere all the time, and it has to be inward, living outward. You see them talking about on your wrist and on your forehead, and they're Jewish people who still will do this object lesson of reminding themselves that God's word is written on their lives. But it's more than that, because Jesus warns uh, the Pharisees uh, that they're doing this in Matthew 23, 5, as just an outward expression to show how awesome they are, so everybody will think they're awesome. What kinds of things can we do to remind ourselves and to keep God's word over our lives? Can we keep our, our phones uh, sending us reminders? Can we, can we uh, keep our earbud listening to, to worship? What is the things that are going to remind us that we are going to, to practice and teach our children to practice? Also, you see this, put it on the doorpost of your house or on the gates. That means that we're living not just at home and with parents and kids, but we're living our faith in front of our neighbors and in the marketplace as well. So your family, it, the, the, the thing that you need to know, the thing that you want to think about here is that your family is a church. It needs to be a church, and our church needs to be a family. And when we come together and we look at uh, our church, let's, well, let's talk about our family first. When devotional time, when prayer time, when, when questions are encouraged about God and why God is, when we're constantly uh, bringing Christ out and telling of the love of Christ by how we live, this is how we bring church or discipleship into our home context. Again, the vast majority of discipleship should happen at home. Worship in community here is a rehearsal for what we do at home. Then, as a church family, we need to take a look at where our children are and who are our children. Often people come to me and they'll say something like, do you have some teens who will? Just fill it in the blank. Do you have some teens who will help with the children's thing? Do you have some teens who can be a part of the welcome team? What I'd like to say is, do you have some teens? How many teens do you know that you could ask to serve alongside of you? Wouldn't it be awesome if every kid in this church could name 10 people who knows them by name and who has invited them to serve alongside of them? You know what that would do for parents in our church? It would revolutionize their discipleship potential when we come alongside and we live out faith together. So how about this? Next generation faith, the third factor, is secure family bonds in Christ. Whether that is in your home or as a family, as a church, when a child finds security, and that security is seen not just in, in the people around me, but the God who is that we all worship, then that changes everything. So most of us as Christians, whether parents or not, feel the desire to see the next generation to know Christ as their Savior. But in all of our imperfections, it gets complicated very fast. This is why we must intentionally prioritize being next-generation disciple makers, or we will continue 
to unintentionally lose the next generation to disciple-making influencers of pop culture. With God as our Father, Christ as our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit as our Enabler, we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we, the body of Christ, we, the covenant community, has a calling, and our calling is sure, and our calling is doable because it's God at work in and through us as we disciple the next generation as Christ followers in Christ's community. Father God, we thank you that we can take a look at this passage so old from so long ago and know that the words are for us today because you inspired these words as you pressed these words onto Moses as the most important words to be shared in the time that he had left, that we would embrace these same words, that we would align our hearts with your hearts to reach the next generation for Christ. We cannot do this by ourselves. We can only do it with you. And we can do it with one another as we are called by your spirit to, to press forward, to love, to, to be your blessing to the next generation so that they know, might know Christ in the power of his love in the beauty of his grace. In Jesus' name, amen.